Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Um, It's coming from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, from the NIV version. During this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that a beautiful baby, sorry, she saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon after this, one of Pharaoh's daughters came down to bathe in the river and her servant girls walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the little basket among the reeds, she told one of her servant girls to go get it for her. As the princess opened it, she found the baby boy. His helpless cries touched her heart. He must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse a baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl rushed home and called the baby's mother. Take this child home and nurse him for me, the princess told her. I will pay you for your help. So the baby's mother took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when he was older, the child's mother brought him back to the princess, who adopted him as her son. The princess named him Moses, for she said, I drew him out of the water. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, good morning. If you are new to our church, my name is Dave. I serve as lead pastor here. And uh, today is Mother's Day. So if you're a mom, happy Mother's Day. I want to start with a little poll. I want to ask you a question. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Jochebed. Anybody know who that is? Okay, I see where all my Bible scholars are. Um, how about... Hatshepsut. Anybody heard of her? Know who she is? Wow, our Egyptologists are all over here. Anybody ever heard of Moses? Yeah, everybody's heard of Moses, and nobody heard of his two moms. But Jochebed and Hatshepsut, very hard name to say. Uh, I I might just call her Hashi for short. Um, They are Moses' two moms. One was his birth mom. And the other was his adoptive mom. Jochebed was likely that she was the uh, Hebrew mother that gave birth to him. Hatshepsut was Pharaoh's daughter, most likely. We don't know for sure, but our best guess is that's probably what her name was. And these are the two women who basically exerted some of the greatest influence in the formation of a man who would go on to change human history. In a few weeks, you're going to hear our brother Christian Park preach about the epic faith of Moses as part of our big faith series out of Hebrews 11. But it's important to note that that kind of faith doesn't always just come out of the blue. But so often, it is a mother or a father who raised their child in the presence of real faith, where Jesus Christ was a real member of the family, where God was real to them and therefore to their kids. And that's where faith like that often comes from. It's not just the lectures we give about God, 
but the sense children have instinctually that God is more than an idea, that he actually is real and he exists. And for the parents who relate to God that way, very often their children will come to see him in the same way. I love this poem. You'll recognize it right away. It's a famous 1865 poem by William Ross Wallace. And I love the third stanza especially. It says, Woman, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. I think that's a very true statement. That whether for good or for bad, very often in the lives of great historical figures and leaders, it's their mother who left the deepest impression for inspiration or terrible pain. One way or the other, it's the mothers who seem to exert such a strong influence on the hearts of young people as they grow up. I know that Mother's Day can evoke some very powerfully negative emotions in some. I'm thankful for Pastor Frank's prayer at the start of our service, acknowledging that while we say Happy Mother's Day, that's not the word most uh, or many people will associate with the topic of motherhood, and it can come in seasons. Some people are having a really hard time becoming mothers, and they want to, or they're struggling with the way they're doing it, and they don't want to be celebrated today because they feel like failures in this task of mothering. And so there are a lot of things that you can feel very strongly that are negative about Mother's Day. But here's what I, I want to just say to you if that, that describes you. If you're having a hard time today with Mother's Day, I want you to know that Jesus Christ understands very much what you're feeling. The grief you're bearing, the pain, the, the, even the bitterness and anger you might feel. But I also want you to know that that's not his plan for the rest of your life. For you to associate motherhood and pain together. I believe that Jesus wants to redeem the very idea of motherhood in your life. And I think he plans to do that in ways that might surprise you. Either through granting you the privilege of being a mom or by bringing women into your life who repair for you so much of the damage that might have been done by a mom who didn't know how to love you the way she was called to do. So this morning, we want to shine a good light on this idea of motherhood. And I can't think of a, a better passage. Really, I love this passage. I preached on, on this passage on Mother's Day, I think, 10 years ago. And as I was really praying for the right passage of this year, this one just came flooding back to my heart. I love this story because I think it showcases the incredible difference that a mom can make in someone's life. So today, if you're a mom and you got there by any of a number of roads, if you're a birth or bio mother, if you are an adoptive mother, a foster mother, a stepmother, even if you're a spiritual mother and you stepped in to play that role, this morning we want to honor you and tell you that you can and are making a huge difference in someone's life. And don't let anyone tell you that there's only one kind of mom that's a real mom. If you are mothering, you are a mom. This is for you. And today's words are meant to honor and encourage you and to inspire you to keep going and do this in a way that brings great honor to Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to I draw attention to this passage and identify some things that moms do that make a huge difference. 
the first thing I just see here is that moms deliver. And I don't mean like they deliver, I mean they deliver us. Every last one of us is here because we passed through a birth canal. Or at least came out of a womb, right? I mean, there's not one of us who was made in a Petri dish. We didn't come to term in a Pyrex container. Some woman carried us. You know, it, it says right off the bat that this woman, a Levite, became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And if the passage stopped there, that alone deserves some respect. I like to say if men were the ones who had babies, everyone would be an only child. There's no man who would do that more than once. Women are unbelievably tough, and they bear such a huge price to bring children into the world. It wreaks havoc on their bodies, on their metabolism, on their freedoms, on their psyche. Some women have hormonal issues that that come surging forward, and they can't even control their moods afterwards. There's such a great cost just to bringing a child into the world. And if your mom did nothing else for you but that, at the very least, thank her. Because we live in a culture that devalues life. That quality of life is everything. And life itself is nothing unless it's worth living. But I tell you, I don't think that's what God says at all. Life itself, just the fact of existence, that you will be eternal. And that you have the opportunity as a sentient human being to know God and live forever with Him. That, bar anything else, is a great gift. And it was given to you by way of a woman who may not have known everything she needed to do after that, but she bore a great price to bring you onto this planet. Do you know that over 35 women across the world die every hour giving birth to children? That's an unbearable number for me. It it hurts my mind and my heart to even think about that. But every hour on this planet, more than 35 women will die giving birth to their child. Their kid will live and they will die. That's an amazing, amazing thing to me. So if your mom, that's all she did, that's still something. If that's all you feel like you've done as a mom, that's still something. I want to just applaud every woman who's... And I know that that's not the only way you become a mom. But if you've come to motherhood that way, I just want to thank you for enduring that and say that that in itself is still something. But I I think moms do much more than that. (laughs) That's a very small part of the overall picture of what a mom does. Moms protect. In fact, I think moms protect more fiercely than dads. Okay? I, I, I think there's nothing in the world like a mom who wants to protect her children. In fact, if you look at Animal Planet, the scariest animals in the world are mamas protecting their babies. The dads are like, oh, that really stinks. The mom's like, come on! I will bite an animal 20 times my size it threatens my babies. I really think that's what moms do. It's something deep in the instinct. We men like to thump our chest and say, we're the fighters. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fight you if you try to hurt our families. But something in the heart of a mother is just fiercely protective over her children. 
Moses' mom, when he was born, saw what a beautiful baby he was. And more than that, she knew that this is a child of destiny. I don't know how moms know, but they see things in their kids nobody else can. Now, you have to understand that the reason she needed to protect him and hide him was that Moses was born into very troubled times. The the Hebrew people had been brought to Egypt uh, under uh, the the, the, um, conditions of famine, and while there, they grew to great numbers. At one point, a new pharaoh stepped into power, and he enslaved them, and they continued to multiply until they were a very numerous people group. And the current pharaoh, fearing an insurrection, said, I'm getting worried about all these Hebrew slaves. There's so many of them. Soon, if they decide to band together, they can overthrow us. And so he took a very extreme measure, and he he issued an edict that all Hebrew baby boys needed to be thrown to their deaths into the Nile River. Now, that's a satanic kind of a, an administrative policy that you realize just how great the fear was in this man's heart. He was not kidding around when he issued a decree like that. And all over the place, guards were coming to homes and snatching boys out of their houses and throwing them to their deaths, drowning them in the Nile River. Jochebed could not bear to think of doing that to her beautiful baby boy. And so she did something very courageous at the risk of her own life. She hid this baby for the first three months of his life. And hey, all parents, tell me, what is very common in babies in the first three months of their life? It's a lot of crying. I cannot imagine how fearful, how tense those three months must have been as they're trying so hard not to let any neighbors know. And you know, the people they got to worry about most of their fellow Hebrew neighbors who want to get a little advancement in their life and turn their neighbor in and say, those people over there are hiding a baby. Where's my reward? And so they got to hide this baby from everybody. I'm sure her friends were like, hey, Jochebed, weren't you kind of large a child? No, I was just, you know, kind of, I needed to watch what I ate. I lost some weight, you know. She's probably lying to everybody. And think about the tension that is mounting. But when you see a mom who needs to protect her children, you will see courage like you've never seen before. There's a woman named Bessie Tomlin who, in 1937, was living in the town of Portsmouth, Ohio. She was a mother of three, pregnant with a fourth, and she was staying with relatives in Portsmouth because she was fleeing an abusive husband. In 1937, a terrible flood struck that town. People were devastated. Property was destroyed. Somehow she had gotten picked up by a rescue boat, and they were taking her to the hospital to deliver this fourth child in the midst of a terrible flood. It's like a scene out of a movie when a wave crested over uh, the sandbags and knocked this boat over, capsized, and she fell in. Now, her, her older two children swam to safety, but she was holding her 18-month-old, and she's about to deliver her fourth, and she's in the water, and she knew she's not going to make it. And so she held this baby above the surface of the water, and screamed with all her might for someone to come and help. A local fireman in another rescue boat saw her. His name was Walter Chick. And he rowed his boat over, grabbed this baby out of her arms, put her safely in the boat, 
and turned around to bring the mother in, and she was gone. Her dying act was to kick one last stroke to hold this baby up. And she gave her life knowing that was going to be the end for her. She was the only woman, the only person to die in that flood. And that story is memorialized in a giant mural that hangs on the the, uh, flood wall that lines that town. I saw a video of that baby, baby Alberta, now 76 years old, being interviewed by her son about the way that she got her start in life. And what a powerful, powerful testimony that this woman should have died at 18 months. And she lived to 76, lived a full life because her mother gave her this incredible gift. Praise God for the protective heart of a mother. And I want you to know, whether you even acknowledge it or not, whether you're even aware of it or not, I can't think of any mother who at some point didn't fight at some way, some level, to try to protect her kid. I think most women do the best they can. And I think something that God hardwired into the heart of mothers is to protect their children. I want you to also know that Moses' birth mother was not the only protective mom in his life. Because Pharaoh's daughter, think about this, the guy who issued the decree to kill all these babies, his daughter comes to take a bath in the river, and she's, of all the people, she's the one who finds the baby in the basket. And I want you to think about the risk she had to take in order to take this baby home and decide that she will keep it. She has no explanation for how she came to have this baby. She has no plan, no long-term outlook. She just looked at this baby and saw what Jochebed had seen, and she knew that she needed to spare this baby's life. And she bore a huge risk. And what it says here is that his helpless cries touched her heart. She didn't give birth to this boy, but she had the mother's heart nonetheless. I think too much is made of whose womb a human being comes out of. The real essence of motherhood is not biological, it's the heart. How many other people could have chanced upon this baby in a basket and said, I can cash in on this. I can forward my place in society. This baby needs to die. How many of you hear a baby crying and the first thing that you feel is tenderness? Thank God a woman and not a man found this crying baby in the reeds. Most men don't enjoy the sound of a baby's crying at all. They can barely handle the sound of their baby crying. Anyone else's baby, shut that baby up. It's grating on my ears. The heart of a mother is tender to the cries of a baby. So praise God for mothers who protect their children. You also see that mothers provide. Now, we all know this is true. I mean, my kids used to say all the time when they're little, dad's for fun and mom's for food. Because they know that they're never going to get food out of daddy. If I watch them all day, they're going to be starving by the time mom comes home because we've had a great time and totally forgot to eat. 
That's just the way I am. Look what Moses' mother did. When she just realized that you cannot hide a baby forever. She realized she had done the best that she could, but now she was endangering not only herself, but this baby. It was no longer a workable situation. So she did what she had to do. She figured out some way to give this baby a fighting chance. She couldn't guarantee that it was going to work. But what a mother does is the best that she can. And so she figured, what can I do? Well, I can hope that somebody for whom it is not illegal to have a baby can have this baby. And so she waterproofed a basket. She lined it with straw so the baby would be comfortable. She gently laid him in, covered him with a blanket, and sent him floating down the river. Now, some will call that a really high-class way to abandon your baby. But you know what I think she was doing? I don't think the placement of that basket in that part of the river was coincidence at all. I don't think it would be heroic to just go, bon voyage, kid, we'll see what happens. I think she led him into this very large river at just the right place. If I had to give up my baby and leave him in a bassinet somewhere, I wouldn't leave him in the worst part of town. I'd leave him in the best part of town. I'd leave him in a place where enlightened people who are kind might stumble and can afford to take this baby's burden. And I I can't guarantee that. You know, there's a lot of horrible people in nice neighborhoods. But I'd figure out something within my realm of logic and just say, look, this baby needs a fighting chance. I will do the best I can. Now, maybe she knew something about Pharaoh's daughter by reputation. Maybe she knew that Pharaoh's daughter was enlightened. That she was kind in her heart. Who knows? But all I know is she led him into the river at precisely the place where this wealthy, powerful woman came to bathe on a regular basis. I even wonder if it's coincidence that she released him on that particular day. Not only that, she made sure that Moses' older sister Miriam supervised that basket so that it wasn't like, see what happens. But she said, watch the basket. Report to me exactly what becomes of your baby brother. And so that's what Miriam did. She took ownership over the welfare of her baby brother, and she watched over that basket and reported back to mom exactly what had happened. And I just want to take an excursus for a moment and say this. One of the great gifts that a mother and father can give their child, especially if they have more than one child, is to foster an atmosphere and a culture in the family of mutual concern for each other among the siblings. You know, Moses and his older brother Aaron and his older sister Miriam would go on to have an incredibly close working relationship in their adult life. Now, that's not something everybody enjoys. If I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm not going to, but a lot of people in the Zoom would say, I don't really have that kind of relationship with my brother or my sister. I know them. We get together because we have to on holidays, but I don't like smile in my heart at the prospect of seeing them. I certainly wouldn't work together with them. And so there are people who grow up having blood family, but they don't feel like friends. They don't feel like this sibling of mine has my back. And I want you to know that one, one of the great gifts you give your children that will outlive you is that they will know to take care of each other well into their old age. 
That it's not just mom and dad take care of you, mom and dad love you, but to teach your children, love each other, take care of each other, because mom and dad are going to be old and will be gone one day, but you will outlive us. And I want to ask you to have concern for your brother and sister. So if you have more than one child, I want to encourage you that that's one of the great gifts that you can impart to your children, is to teach them to love one another long after you're gone. I'm really grateful to see that Miriam was such a good older sister. And I I really do pray for my kids that they will love their younger siblings with a genuine heart, not fine, all right, here, here's a dinner. But with a heart that says, we're family. We're all that's left after mom and dad are gone. And I take responsibility for you. Now let me give you another one. Mothers pray. They pray. I think Jochebed did all that she could to provide materially and physically, even relationally. But I think her greatest provision for her son Moses was spiritual. The text doesn't explicitly say that she prayed But you cannot do what she did without great faith. Later on in Hebrews 11, thousands of years after these people lived, we would learn exactly how great their faith was in doing what they did. The writer of Hebrews says that by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, when it says they were not afraid, it doesn't mean they didn't feel afraid. It means they did not let that fear control what they did. That's what it means. To feel afraid is normal. You're supposed to feel afraid when someone wants to kill your baby and will kill you for hiding him. It's not normal. It's sociopathic, psychopathic to be, be like, I'm not afraid of that. Something's wrong with you if that doesn't scare you. But it takes great faith to know that risk and to say, I will not let that fear control what I do. I know what the stakes are. I know what the cost is. But I believe that God has called us to this. And so we will do this risky thing for the sake of our children. I believe that Moses' mother prayed a great deal for him. How else do you let your baby down a river in a basket, not knowing if you'll ever see him again? How can any sane person do that without great faith in God? And I'm going to tell you, parents, that one day your kid's going to go off to school and not act like they're afraid of it or miss you. They're not going to cling to your thigh and go, oh, I don't want to go. They're going to be like, see you later. Thanks. Thanks for all the food and housing and everything, whatever. One day your little teenager is going to break your heart and make you feel like, yeah, thanks a lot for all the help and stuff, but I got it from here. One day your teenager is going to need to learn how to drive, and that will terrify you because you could die right next to them, but then they're going to want to go out and drive without you, and that's going to terrify you even more because this big bad world out there, and you're going to drive by yourself and at night and in the snow. And then one day they're going to grow up and say, I don't want to live in your basement. Gross. I want to go. There's a whole world out there i got to experience. 
Bye, mom and dad. I don't know how you let go of a child without great faith that comes through prayer. And I really believe that godly mothers pray. See, Jochebed did everything she could, but she could not control the future. You will never outgrow the need to depend on God at some level because you cannot control what happens. You can, you can say, my kid will never, ever play football. And then some idiot will crash into him on a bike and they will get a concussion anyway. That doesn't mean you're foolish for not letting him play football. I'm saying you can do everything to keep your kids safe, but I have news for you. You can't keep your kids safe unless you imprison them in a padded bubble chamber in your basement and feed them through a tube. You cannot keep your child safe. You can do the best that you can, but you will never, ever outgrow the need to desperately pray for your children. I believe that a wise mother talks to God about her children twice as much as she talks to her children about God. That's not a scientific number or ratio, but you understand what I'm saying is we lecture our kids incessantly. Kids, now, this is a great situation. Here, listen, God this, God that. We talk to our kids about God all the time. But are we talking to God about our children? You can talk to your kids about God and they can grow up to be totally godless heathens. But I believe that when we talk to God about our children, he listens. And think about Jochebed's prayer. God, let this work out. It's the craziest plan ever hatched. I feel like a terrible mother, but what can I do? I have no other choice here. And she lets this baby down. And think about this situation. The one person with a soft heart and all the power to stand at the Pharaoh finds her baby. They're holding their breath going, oh, crud, that's Pharaoh's daughter. And she hears the crying. And she goes, isn't that a Hebrew baby? And like, oh, man, she saw he's circling. Oh, man, what are we going to do? And then she says, I think I'll keep him. Think about that moment, even for his sister Miriam watching this unfold. Mom, we prayed and look, it's amazing. She was okay with it. And then Miriam runs up and goes, hey, do you need someone to nurse this baby? How about one of the Hebrew women? And Pharaoh's daughter goes, yeah, that'd be great. So she goes and gets Moses' mom, who's already lactating, and says, would you feed this baby? I'll even pay you for the service. You talk about answered prayer. That's like answered prayer times 80 bonuses, man. This is unbelievable. And what it tells me is that God seems to have a soft spot in his heart for the prayer of a mother. And not always, but sometimes he exceeds what is being asked because he loves the heart of moms. Let me give you one last thing and then I'll end. Mothers ultimately let go. I'll say that as a future calling but for some of you, I'm going to say that right now. Let go. Seriously. Let go. Let them go. Learn early how to let them go. Because you cannot hold them forever. And the truth is, they never really belong to you from the start. 
They were always God's kids. He gave you the privilege of investing in them for the most formative years of their life. But he put them on earth for his reasons, not only to make you happy and to fulfill you, but he has claim on their lives. They have always belonged to him. And I know you want to keep them safe. I know you want them to have a good upper middle class life. I know you want them to marry someone great. I I know you want them to be happy. But God has a path marked out for them. Some of that's going to involve risk and pain. Some of it's going to break your heart. But every mother lets go eventually. Some do it well. Some don't. You know, Moses' mom had the privilege of raising her own baby in an illegal, hostile environment for the most formative years of his early life. But she knew that she could not keep him forever. And a day came when Pharaoh's daughter said, okay, I want that baby back. It's time for me. Thanks for doing all the diaper changes and potty training. Now that he can talk and take verbal commands and he's smart, I want him. And she had to give him up. Here's what I think. I think that the mom who prays faithfully for her child has greater confidence when it's time to let go. If we've talked to God more about our kids than we've talked to our kids about God, when it's time inevitably to let go, our confidence will not be placed in our parenting or in our child's character or in the bank account. It will be in the God who has always watched over our children, the God we have always trusted for their well-being. It'll be the God who put them on the earth for a reason. That God will keep them well. That God will make a way for them in life. We all have to let go of our kids at some point. But if you've prayed and you've raised your child in the Lord, when that day comes, your confidence will be so much greater. You will worry so much less. I think Jochebed was ready to let her boy go. And look what the writer of Hebrews says about this Moses. That by faith, When Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Wouldn't you love to be able to read something like that about your children someday? And that's a legacy we can be proud of, is that our children know who they are. They know who they belong to, where they came from. And they know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. I would love to be able to say that about all four of my children. And I just want to affirm my kids, because they have an awesome mom. I'm pretty confident that's going to be the case. Don't break my heart. (laughs) But I'm pretty confident that's going to be the case. So let me just close. 11.24, all right. Let me just close with a few practical responses we can all make. Because you may not be a mom, but every one of us has moms in our lives. We all have a mom. We may have a sibling, a friend, a neighbor who is a mom. And I'm going to tell you, mothering is never easy. It's never easy. 
at least I should say, it's never easy when you actually do it. If you have staff to do all of it for you, then yes, it's easy. But when you're actually mother, it's hard. Show your gratitude to a mom. Mothering is a thankless job. Do you know how often I see our family, we eat a meal, and then we just walk away from the table like that meal magically appeared there. And it just makes me think about how it must weigh down on moms all over the world to work so hard and have everyone just assume, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's your job. And to so rarely hear the words, thank you. So if you have a, a, if your wife is a mother, or if your sister or friend is a mom, if you have a mom still with you, and guys, don't forget your mother-in-law. <laughs> Try not to forget your mother-in-law. <laughs> Call them, write them, go see them, and just say, hey, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for everything I've seen, and I want to say thank you for all the things I never saw. Second, I want to ask you to give the moms in your life your encouragement. I think our society devalues motherhood. Some of the people who discourage moms the most are other women who will say, you're just a mom, that's, that's it, you're, that's enough for you? You stay home, and you play house, you don't have a life outside. And I want to say, that our society adds no value, it seems, to the act of mothering. But without exception, everybody on their deathbed wants to see their mom, right? It's like, mothering is so profoundly important, but our culture has conspired to make it seem like nothing. And sometimes, a woman who is doing the best that she knows how is nonetheless a product of the family who produced her, and she doesn't have everything she needs to be this perfect mom. And you know, Facebook makes it look like every other mom should win the Mom of the Year Award, putting up all that highlight film, staging stuff just to put it on Facebook. Let's make it look like we make brownies every day. What do you mean, Mom? Just be quiet and smile. Now, I'm not saying everyone's faking, but I'm saying, you know, like you look at that and you're like, what is wrong with our family? Everybody else has this awesome family that does cool stuff. I'm terrible at this. I don't even enjoy it. I'm trying to like it, but I don't like it, and I feel guilty about not liking it, and there's all this emotional baggage. It can be so discouraging to be a mom sometimes. Other moms have to work or they choose to work, and yet they long to spend that time. They're conflicted, and they're, they're trying the best they can, and they can't give their best to any of the things they have to do. They're always a dollar short and an hour late. If you have a mom in your life, let her know that you see everything she does that's good. When you see a mom struggle to make the right choice, sacrifice to provide, acknowledge it. Affirm it. Encourage them that what they're doing is worth it. And finally, offer your support. Mothering is a hard job because so many mothers have to do most of it alone. Even the married ones. <laughs> dads, I'm going to just time out for a second. I'm going to talk to you dads. Okay? I know I don't want to beat up on the dads who are doing their best. If you're doing your best, plug your ears. Praise Jesus. 
put in your earphones right now. This is not for you, okay? God bless you for being the best dad. But if you need to hear this, let me say it in love. Some of you have made your wife a single mother who happens to be married. It's not enough to bring home a paycheck and throw the ball around in the backyard and take the family on vacation twice a year and say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. That is not all a father does. Keep doing that. I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. Bring home the money, throw the ball, go on vacation, that's great. But do you realize that your wife and your children need more than just that? They need more than for you to be the headmaster of the homeschool. They need you to be more than the governor of this district. There's so much you give that a mother cannot give. There's something unique about the male parent who shapes something in the hearts of boys and girls alike that is incomplete when it's just one parent. And so I want to invite you and encourage you. Whatever reasons you've come up with is why you can't, the rocks and the hard places you're stuck between, the now going on 15 to 20 years of reasons you've given your whole family for why you're not as available, I want to invite you to just stop, draw a line in the sand and say, if my career is the reason I have to keep making these apologies to my family, why I have this mounting tension that I'm losing my children as they get older, Yes, they know in theory I love them. But I won't be able to say goodbye on the day they leave my house and say I was part of the reason that their hearts are the way they are. I helped shape that human being in the innermost being. If you can't say that someday, if that's the track you're on, get off that track. Even if you have to make some drastic changes, some radical readjustments of your standard of living, I want to encourage you to think about what it's going to feel like when it is too late and then you suddenly realize, oh man, i got to be there more. I've got to be more present with my family. That's one of the most painful things to become aware of when that season has passed. So I don't want to end in a heavy note. What I want to say to you dads is, it's never too late because your kids are aching more of you. And your wife would be delighted to have more of you by her side. That a great mom is even greater with a great dad by her side. That is not every family situation. And I understand that people are going through things. But especially to the dads in this room right now, I want to invite you and challenge you. Offer your wholehearted support And in our culture, the word support has come to be regarded as sort of a token thing. I support you. That means I'm generally positive in my feelings about you. (laughs) I'm thinking more support like I'm holding up this bridge. Like I'm supporting it. Substantive, sacrificial, courageous support of the moms in your life who are heroically doing the best they can. I invite you to do the best that you can. You'd be amazed how full your heart feels when you've made those changes and you see what it's doing to your family. I'm going to invite you to bow with me. Let's just pray. Um, 
I kind of ended with a focus on dads. And if you need to stay there and the Holy Spirit's doing something, let him. Stay right there. But I also want to return the spotlight to moms. Why don't we just spend some time thinking about all the different moms that fill our lives? It could be that you have a sister who's a mom and you never really even pause to think about, my gosh, my sister is a mom. I've never even thought of her in that light. She's struggling to do all this stuff. and I never even ask her about her kids or show any interest or affirm her. Think about all the moms in your life. And if your mom is still with you, especially think about your mother. Why don't we just offer a prayer of thanksgiving? And if your mom is someone who's struggling, pray for her. For wholeness and healing and strength. If you're a mom who's struggling, we're going to pray for you right now as well. So let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.